Uh, welcome to A Command of Her Own, a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin. And I'm your host, Jen. This week, we are nerding out again. This is going to be our second Nerdfest episode. And yeah, I'm once again just randomly picking at the last moment. So I have a cold right now, so I apologize for how I sound, and I will try and uh, keep any of the really big sniffles and sneezes off of the recording. Uh, But if I sound a little bit different, that is probably why. And we did get a little bit of Star Trek news this week. Uh, There was an interview on, or... I guess Sonequa Martin-Green did some uh, an interview with Deadline. And I read an article on trekmovie.com and she kind of is leading us to believe that we are going to see Spock. She didn't say that, but she said, we all know who is on the Enterprise. You see Sarek and Burnham look at each other, and there you have it. So. So you're super excited, right? Oh, super something. <laughs> we'll see how this turns out. All right, so we're nerding out this week, and I'm forcing you to go first. Yes, unless that's super, right. Unless you super don't want to. No, I I do. That's fine. I, I'll go first. Okay. Um, one of the things that I wanted to nerd out about this week, which is somewhat timely, is my fascination with royalty. Hmm. So, we just had a royal wedding. We did. In case people are listening to this like way out of like the current time and they don't know what's happening, we're recording... Like, just after Meghan Markle married Harry. I don't know his last name. They don't really have one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Prince of England. And it was a super big deal, and I have always kind of been obsessed with royalty. Not super obsessed, but more like just a fascination ongoing. Royalty Hmm? in general, or Britain's royalty in particular? Royalty in general, but like in our general culture, Mm -hmm. what's available mostly is Britain's royalty. Yes. So that's what I have gotten the most of, just because it's so easily available. Gotcha. But when other things do come up, I do get super fascinated by it. I am very sort of interested in like the Japanese situation with the emperor and the dynasties and all the stuff going on there but it's very complicated mm-hmm. and I feel like I'd really have to have time to like research the history of how it's evolved to the current situation to really understand it mm-hmm. whereas like with Britain's royalty it's very easy to come by that knowledge living in North America yeah and living in part of the Commonwealth also. Yes. It's kind of shoved down our throats. Yes. And I realized that I've had this fascination ever since I was, like, much younger. Mm-hmm. There was a book series that I loved 
that was called The Royal Diaries. Okay. Which was probably middle school level, but it took a young woman royal mm-hmm. and basically wrote like a fictional account of some time in her life. Oh, so like a real person, but then told a, a fictional. Okay, gotcha. Yes, yes. And I mean, I'm sure if I, like, I love historical fiction, particularly mm-hmm. about royalty. And I know it's full of, like, problematic features because due to the nature of it, unless you have, like, really thorough journals and diaries that you've done a lot of research on, mm-hmm. there's a lot that you're assuming and supposing about. And then to make it a good story, like, either in a book or a a TV show or movie, you have to do, like, make some compromises to make it appeal to the audience. So sometimes there's liberties taken and, you know, timelines compressed or different things like that. Um, Or even... People don't know that. They're just dumb. Well, yes, but I know that historians sometimes do get frustrated because then people get this impression of... Um, you know, this era being like this, or it, they get a super simplified, or sometimes a, even more problematically, a biased or completely skewed view of what actually happened. I guess, I guess I've always just been lucky enough to have people who like taught me young that that was the case. So I've never watched a historical fiction movie or tv show and thought man that is the way it happened that's true i guess i always had that critical perspective pretty young but obviously not everyone has access to that sort of thing no that's very true so that's that's fair but yeah so i read a number of the royal diaries series Mm -hmm. but not all of them because there was like 20 books and my very favorite was Mary Queen of Scots. Okay. And that's why right now I am still trying to get through the four seasons of the TV show Rain, which is about Mary Queen of Scots with wild liberties taken. Well, yeah. I've been meaning to watch that just because Megan Follows is in it, and I love Megan Follows. And Megan Follows is excellent in it she is definitely a highlight Mm -hmm. and the other thing that i love in it is the dresses um like Mm -hmm. all the costuming and stuff Mm -hmm. and they have definitely taken wild liberties in some of the costumes and things as well Mm -hmm. and because some of them are just like uh a style like it's not a style you would necessarily buy off of the rack but it is definitely not a historically accurate style at all right it's beautiful they did, like, an inspired by type of thing? Mm-hmm. And even some of the dresses, like, I read a brief article with the, one of the costume designers, and they were like, yeah, we have them in corsets. These are not historically accurate corsets. Like, the corsets would be, like, much longer or, like, fitting differently. Mm-hmm. But in order to get it to work with modern materials and things like that, and as well as the show's budget, it's much easier to modify something that you can get from a fashion designer than it is to build something from scratch in a historically accurate way, right? Right, yes. And then also, like, the actresses, they want to highlight for modern beauty standards. Yes. Which is sometimes very different than what they were looking for in historical beauty standards. hmm So, 
But then also a lot of just the characterization of people is just kind of inaccurate in the show. I've just realized I've become that that age where you watch shows for younger people because it has an actor you liked when you were a kid. <laughs> You're one of those people. That's unfortunate. Carry on. <laughs> I'm sorry I made you feel old, Kate. <laughs> It's fine. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> you know what makes me feel old? Uh, the um, fact that you're older than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, <Sorry>. that too. <laughs> that too. Um, actually, people younger than me feeling old does not make me feel old. It's when people older than me feel old that makes me upset. <laughs> I'm like, no, stop it. Stop getting older and complaining about things. I am looking towards that next stage in my life, and I want it to seem much better than you're portraying it. Interesting. Yeah. When people older than me complain about being old, I rub it in their faces, as, <laughs> as was just demonstrated. Um, no, but what does make me feel old is, like, realizing how much of, like, Harry's childhood I remember. Okay taking in like princess events with princess diana mm -hmm. um like i remember her meeting um mother Teresa. i remember her leaving prince charles like i remember all those like tabloid times and i can remember times when uh harry was much younger and he was having his wild child days and it's like and now he's married and yeah that made me feel old interesting do you and, go ahead may I ask just because mm -hmm. it's sort of topic related i suppose do you remember where you were when you learned that princess diana died yes i do i do okay. remember exactly um i do too which is interesting but where were you uh well one of my sister's friends had I don't know if she called or come by or something, but we all ended up, like, going out for a walk in the evening. Mm -hmm. And just, like, walking and talking around the neighborhood. And then, like, we came in to the house after that. And that's when the news story was on. And okay. I cried. Aww. Yeah. It was very sad. Uh, so, honestly, hearing about Princess Diana's death is my earliest memory of knowing about Princess Diana. Like, when I learned about it, I knew who she was, so I must have heard about her earlier, but I don't mm -hmm. I don't remember that, because I was, as we just discussed, younger than you. Yeah. Yes. Um, but... Kate's the young it, one, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> just in case you forgot. <laughs> um, but I guess it was on, like, some very early morning news thing in in Toronto, which is where I lived at the time. And my dad had to get up, at, like, my dad had to start work at 7, mm -hmm. so he was always up at, like, 5 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I would sometimes get up early to watch cartoons, because that's the type of kid I was. Um, and I, we sort of ran into each other in the kitchen, and he told me. And, yeah. And I remember thinking, oh. Oh. Because it just, it just didn't really affect me at the time. <laughs> But then, you know, we watched a lot of news about it over the coming days. Mm-hmm. So. Mm -hmm. 
That was me. Okay. On a slightly happier note, I will say that Kate Middleton is my favorite. And I love every time she has a they have a baby, I will go and like look up like the pictures and everything like that and when she's pregnant and cuz she gets super sick when she's pregnant. Um she has like a particular form of morning sickness that usually needs to be like medically addressed. Mm-hmm. I always feel so sad for her and like I'm always like, "Oh no, Kate." Oh. And yeah, I pay attention to what she wears and I love most of what she wears and yeah. Interesting. That is my This is like this whole new side of you that I didn't know. About. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, oh, and then the other thing with the recent royal wedding, I've been listening to a podcast called When Meghan Met Harry. Uh, it's hosted by an American royal loving named Kristen Meinzer and a Brit royal aficionado, James Barr. And they have been delightful. And they made all these like wedding predictions and they were going to have like a bingo board drinking game. And she actually flew to England for the wedding. Nice. And they're going to do some recap episodes. I don't think the... They did like a little brief one, Mm -hmm. but the longer ones haven't yet been released that I've seen. So I'm going to be listening to those. And for a while, I didn't think I was going to be able to watch any of the royal wedding because this is super busy time of year with spring and and work and kids stuff and school stuff. And um, I hadn't really made any plans and I don't have conventional television. So at first I was just like, oh, I guess I'll just like try and find some time you know, at work afterwards to like watch some videos on the internet or something. And then uh, my sister-in-law asked me, oh, are you guys going to watch the wedding? And I was, so that's when I told her like, oh, I don't really have anything I can watch it on. And she's like, well, my mom's like uh, PVRing the whole thing. You should come over Saturday night and we'll have wine and popcorn and we'll sit and watch it all. Nice. I was so happy. I was like, yes, we're doing this. It is. I don't know what it is because, like, honestly, I don't know what it is, but I enjoy watching these weddings too. I enjoy watching everybody arrive in their ridiculous hats and their pretty clothes. And oh, yeah. I love it. And yeah. it, it's, I don't know why, but I do. I loved listening to the podcast because they talked a bit about the differences in uh, wedding culture there. Mm-hmm. and here and like they talk to somebody who makes fascinators mm-hmm. and uh, like a little bit of dip about the hats and for this case you know you would try and match your hat color to your outfit color like mm-hmm. sometimes if you're wearing a hat to an event it wouldn't be like matchy matchy the same color you might want to go with something that's a little more differentiated but it was like no no for something like this you would be matching head to toe if you can and just all these little tidbits of how it works and everything like that, I was finding fascinating. Like, yeah. So I loved the podcast and how much I learned about it. And then when I was watching it with my sister-in-law and mother-in-law, I was like filling them in on little tidbits. And I was like, oh yeah. And there was all this gossip uh, that happened with Meghan Markle's father. And I was like, oh, okay. So this is what happened. And Going through you all this were stuff the with expert. Them. They invited was, an expert. I was totally the expert. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Which was funny because my uh, mother-in-law has like watched every royal wedding. Mm-hmm. 
when she was growing up, her parents were originally from Scotland and they would still get like Scottish newspapers here in Canada. Okay. And they'd have like a royals section with news about the royals. As someone who used to work in a bookstore, those royals, there's like whole swaths of magazines just dedicated to them and they are very popular. Oh, yes. Holy yes. crepes. I don't really want to like buy anything. Like I've seen a few magazines out about different things related to the wedding. And I'm sure there's going to be like, you know, the commemorative issue of whatever for the wedding. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to get too much stuff. Mm-hmm. So I figure I'll just like enjoy it as it comes and get the pictures on the internet and things like that. I just remembered that a friend of mine's going to Scotland and possibly London in September, and maybe she can bring me back a tea towel. Mm. As I sort of de facto started collecting tea towels. I th- well, I didn't know this about you. You've I knew been you in collected. My kitchen, there's tea towels on the wall. <laughs> yes, but you also have quite the collection of mugs. Yes. Okay. So the tea towels thing. And Christmas ornaments. This is true. But the tea towels thing was like other people decided that I was collecting them. And just started bringing me back tea towels from places. And I was like, all right, these are cool. Great. So when other people travel, they should bring you a tea towel. When you go travel, you get yourself a Christmas ornament or a mug. Yes. I do also appreciate a Christmas ornament or a mug. But But the tea towels have come from people like wholly unrelated to each other like they did not confer okay or some of them have seen that i have some on my walls in my kitchen and some have not but i still just get these tea towels and like i guess i guess i collect tea towels now i don't know (laughs) Alrighty. yeah i also get much more sentimental about weddings in general now Mm-hmm. So I like we watched a briefer overview of the wedding because, as I said, I'm sick. The rest of my family is sick. So we didn't have time to sit there for five hours, you know, from seven till midnight on Saturday night mm-hmm. to watch the entire thing. So, yeah, we totally just watched an overview. So I haven't actually seen the sermon that was given yet, which I would like to do. Go back and and watch it. But, um, yeah, I was getting kind of. Uh, teary-eyed. See, I have this weird thing about weddings. Mm-hmm. We're like, I have no desire to ever be married. You know this about me. Yes. But I love going to weddings. Really? I, I love them so much. Like, I don't want one for myself, but other people's weddings. I adore them. And I could know you even just a little bit, and I'm probably going to cry at your wedding. I can see that. I just, I don't know what it is. I can see that. I also get very judgy about weddings, but I also, yeah. That's terrible. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. I am slightly a terrible person. Cat's out of the bag. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't say anything. I don't like, it's just my internal monologue. about choices people make at weddings um not all the choices and just know this if you are a person who's getting married matthew um (laughs) 
there's going to be someone out there who is making a judgment about something in your wedding, but it does not matter because no matter what you choose, if you chose something different, if you did something another way, somebody else would be judgy about that. So it just, it doesn't matter. That's their thing. Do what makes you happy. She says after saying that she's going to judge you. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. A little bit. Probably about something. But that's okay. Because it's more like just an, well, I wouldn't do it that way. See, my judgment. Not like weddings. you're a terrible person <laughs> for doing this. <laughs> my judgment weddings is usually like, man, this would have been better with an open bar. <laughs> Sometimes that is the case. Sometimes that is the judgment going through my head. Generally, though, I think that's true of almost any social situation. Or like, why would you plan a dry wedding and not like firmly address your booze hound cousins to or like assign someone to them to prevent the giant tailgate party that happens in the parking lot and the trouble you get into with the authorities? Like, if you're good, it's fine to do the dry wedding. Totally fine. But then you need to address that other problem that pretty much anyone who knew, knows the people involved knew was going to happen. Okay? I, I, I judge have, you on that. I have 100% snuck out to the parking lot and shared a flask with friends at a wedding. Sharing a flask is not a problem. This was a much more showy issue, loud, raucous behavior that like caused a problem. That even... I guessed right at the beginning, I was like, uh, this is going to be a problem. Did they not, like, get, like, arrangements made somebody on this? No? No? Nobody's on this problem? No? Okay. Okay. Not how I would have had my wedding go out, but... All, All right. right. We've gotten way off track. We, we have. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I think that wraps up my... Discussion of royals? My, my first fascination so that I'm nerding out about. Just... Quickly, do you still like Kate like better than Megan? Not that oh, I yeah. want to pit women against each other, but I just sort of meant, I guess, sort of fashion icony wise. Um, I have not seen enough of Megan to judge that. Okay. So I I can't say that I like Kate better than Megan because I think they have very very different personal style. Mm-hmm. And this is just what I've gleaned mostly from just listening to the podcast where they've discussed that she has a much more like California style. Um, which makes sense. More, which, yeah, because she lives in California. And that's totally fine. And like I said, I haven't seen enough to judge them. Gotcha. Like to, to say like, yes, I like this one better than the other. Um, Did you like her dress? Yes, I loved her dress. It was beautiful. The train, the tiara, the it was gorgeous. But I also liked Kate's dress. Mm -hmm. And I think each of their dresses worked very well for them. Yes. I so, really yeah. liked the dress she changed into for the party afterwards. I thought that was way nicer only, on her. I've only seen one picture of that, so... Oh. It, but I... I it was white as well, right? It was, yeah. And yeah. I thought, like, I liked the dress she wore for the actual ceremony, but it looked like it was too big or something. Like, it just didn't fit her right. 
She still think, looked gorgeous, but I don't know. I didn't really. Yeah. Right. I think part of what was going on with the dress for the ceremony is that, like, she's getting married in this giant church with all this history being broadcast and watched by everyone in the world. And this is, she sort of has to fill a certain amount of statement area with herself. Oh, I don't mean, so. like, I loved the train and the, the mm-hmm. all that. That was great. I meant, like, the actual... Like, the actual dress fitting her? Yeah, the actual dress fitting her. It looked loose Oh. Oh. Huh. To me, I've not heard this, well, judgment from <laughs> anybody else. So, that could just be me being stupid and picky. Um, the dress that she changed into for the party was fabulous, though. Uh, mm. But again, she couldn't wear that one for the wedding because her arms are barren. You can't do that. Right. Okay. All right. Royals. Yeah. Are you, are um, you done? Yeah. I don't want to cut you unless off. You've, unless you've got more questions. Um, not really. I have seen a lot of people on, uh, people that I follow on Twitter who are women of color just being really, really excited about Megan, and I'm glad that that exists for them. Oh, you yes. Know. And I am super excited about, like, a whole host of things that this represents for the royal family and moving them into a more perhaps progressive yeah uh, way of doing things and i am happy that the that william and harry didn't have to deal with any of the bullshit that that charles and diana did because they were basically forced to marry each other yeah yeah and- it was basically like used st- Charles and Diana were still in the era of basically, like, you have to marry from this short list of people. Yeah. Which is insane to think about, because that was, like, the 80s or the, maybe the 70s? No, it was the early 80s. I have no idea when they got married. It's gotta be the 80s, right? Not that long ago is what I'm saying. Yes, yeah. Are we both Googling this now? I am. Me too. Because I am so familiar with the images, I can't rely on whether I saw 81. it. Okay, they got married eighty-one. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't alive yet, so it's okay that I didn't know that. And and my memories clearly come from the pictures afterwards because I I was too young to remember anything. Yeah. All right. So, anyways, I'm just happy that yeah, more progressiveness for the the current British royal family. Yes. So making a complete flip on things, mm-hmm. as mine is very different. Um, and I sort of chose it because it's come up a lot in the podcast recently. And that mm-hmm. is, I want to talk about how much I love anime and why I love anime. Especially since I think for people who don't like anime, it's kind of viewed as weird. <laughs> Which, I mean, it mm-hmm. is weird. But <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Yes. Um, Sure. It's kind of viewed as weird and or like a niche thing that maybe people can't get into, even though they super can if they want to. It is daunting. I will say that, like, I enjoy anime. Mm -hmm. But even for me, for like, I have a little bit of understanding of Japanese culture and, you know, a smattering of Japanese language. But there's just so much out there. It can feel overwhelming. 
Yes. And, and I, it's hard, it's hard even to tell from titles what to expect from that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially since some don't really translate. Um, mm-hmm. And I like I think anime fans can also be some of the worst like gatekeepers ever. Mm. Like I I nobody's ever been that way to me, but I've been involved mm-hmm. in anime for a very long time. Um mm. But I do know a friend of mine who was told that she would she would just never be able to catch up as if she had to. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yes. As if, yes. <laughs> like, oh, you want to enjoy this genre? You have to start at one and yeah, go you have all to go, the way forward. You have to go back to Astro Boy and... Yeah. You want to you want to get into Disney fans, kids? Okay, well we're gonna start by showing you the old Steamboat Mickey. Yeah. No, you can't watch Frozen yet. I don't care if your friends are watching Frozen. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Although on the other hand, um, I get a lot of people who are very dismissive of it just because it's animated, and in North America, we have this strange culture that sort of believes animated has to be for children. And that things for children are inherently less quality. Yeah. Um, and uh, anime or like anything animated in in Japan does mm-hmm. not feel that way. It doesn't feel like it has to be less quality. It does not feel like it has to be aimed at children. It's super... Don't ever think that all anime is good for kids because it's super duper not. Holy crap. I have bought some disturbing movies in the children's section because they were anime <laughs> um back when right when you when i bought vhs yeah uh, and before uh like ghost in the shell was in the children's it's, section that's where yeah, i bought it it's such a common assumption here um my husband's family went to a drive-in double feature mm-hmm. when they were kids of point break and howard the duck and the reason they went was for Howard the Duck, because his parents assumed that it was going to be a kid's show. And, like, they were fairly young. Mm-hmm. And they sat through all of Point Break, which is also not a kid's show. Mm-hmm. And then when they realized how bad Howard the Duck was, they left. This is the most 90s story you've ever told me. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> It's a great story. It is one of my favorites. So, um, which, which, but to be fair, the internet did not exist then. Now, before my kids go see a movie, there's so many parent-specific reviews for all the movies that yeah. it's a lot easier to figure it out before you actually show up at the theater. That's interesting. Um, so when I was sort of starting writing out some notes for this, uh, I realized what the first anime that I ever saw on North American television was. And then mm-hmm. I was like, well, when did it start? When did they first start bringing anime over? And it was, as I mentioned earlier, with, with Astro Boy in the 60s, which is insane to me that it's been mm-hmm. around here in North America for so long, but still has this weird stigma about it outside of the people who watch it. Mm-hmm. So. Have you seen Astro Boy? I have not. I could lend it to you. Ooh. The original? Because I feel like they did a remake me, recently. It might be the remake in... Because there was a remake, I think, in the 80s. And I think that's the one we might have. Okay. 
And uh, we also have Kimba the Lion, which is by the same animating Yeah, studio. I have I have that on my list here for, for old ones. Yep. Kimba. Um, sort of the popular ones before anime got popular were Astro Boy, Speed Racer, Kimba, Voltron, Robotech. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are the big ones. There were some other ones, but mm-hmm. these are uh, ones that I feel like a lot of people watched when they were kids and just had absolutely no idea had come from Japan. Yeah, yeah. I've seen Robotech, and we did watch all of Kimba, and I will say it's now very problematic to go back to that. Okay, good to know. Just, just so you know, a lot of colonialisms issues sort of going on in Africa. Right. So, anyways, I digress. Um, good, good to know. Yeah. Uh, but the first anime I ever remember watching uh, on TV was Samurai Pizza Cats. I like the sound of that. It was not called that in Japan. I forget what it was. And when it was licensed here in North America, I will say it aired in Canada in 1993. And it aired in the U.S. in 96. Mm-hmm. So we got it first. I don't know. I was So I was probably six years old when I was watching this. Um, okay. And from what I saw, like, they did not have good translations or accurate or high quality or anything. So they pretty mm-hmm. much just decided to do their own thing with the dub and make okay. it a little Animaniacs-ish and wacky, um, okay. which is not necessarily what the original was. Um, but it's fun. It's about superhero cats who work in a pizza shop by day and are superheroes also and i seem to recall that they at least one of them their like weapon is that they shoot pizzas at the the guys i didn't really do too much looking into what it was because i thought it'd be fun to just try to remember but yeah that's the first anime i ever remember seeing Hmm. and then shortly after that of course uh, i discovered sailor moon right in 1995 and that was what so here in North America, it did not have good ratings when mm-hmm. they aired it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I loved it. And some friends that I had, they either loved it or I forced them to love it. I don't remember which. So that was the first time I remember knowing that it was Japanese and that there was more out there. I right. just needed to find it. Mm. Which became i have a memory of like a friend's neighbor getting Mm -hmm. a hold of a vhs of one of the movies so then like the friend my friend borrowed it from her neighbor and i went over to watch it and this is very typical of like early day anime fans you know like one person has something and everybody gathers right (laughs) we were just like that was in the days of like VHS, yeah, where like you could time your VCR to start recording something on your on your tapes, and then you would need to like make sure that did not get recorded over. Yeah. So like, this was like an official VHS release, though I think, because it was it was oh. in Japanese with subtitles. Okay. Um, I guess it could have been, uh, like a fan done thing, but it from what I remember, it looked official. Like it was ish. Okay. 
I don't know, but I was so happy to see that. And it was the the second movie, which takes place mm-hmm. in season three. So it had characters that I hadn't been introduced to yet. And it was so very exciting for me. Cool. Um, eventually, I got the internet and I saw all of Sailor Moon. I, d- I don't remember how that happened, really. I think at the time you had to order fan sub VHSs and get them to you and blah, 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 blah. Um... But shortly after that, or I guess around the same time, the original Dragon Ball series aired, which I watched mm-hmm. and I liked, even though I hate Dragon Ball Z. The okay. original one had plot that moved along relatively quickly and not, let's talk about what we're going to do for two episodes. Right. Which is a trope in anime that I hate. Mm-hmm. And then... Gundam Wing and Escalfone started airing here. And I loved those. And then, like I said, I, I did... I guess Pokemon started airing at the same time. And that's that's what the real game changer was. Like, outside of me, I didn't really watch Pokemon. But, but that's what made anime mainstream. Right. Um, Because that was just some brilliant marketing with... You oh know, yeah, the, the games and the toys and like everybody knows who and what Pokemon is, even right. if they don't play it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Pokemon. I have to say is a brilliant business model. Yeah, it it never really factored into my love of anime or mm-hmm. that sort of thing, but I am still very thankful for it because it probably because of what it did for the genre and how it how it made it mainstream. Mm-hmm. And just to go over why I think, because I was thinking about this today, why I love anime so much. Um, I was like because it comes from a completely different culture. It is just a completely different style of storytelling, mm-hmm. which is great when you're when you're somebody who watches a lot of movies and TV and that sort of thing to get something so different, but still good. Right. And I like how even shows that are aimed at children have queer characters and queer representation in them in the 90s. Yes. Like a lot of that was obviously stupidly erased when they dubbed it, um, mm-hmm. which sometimes did make things creepier. Mm-hmm. For example, in Sailor Moon, when they decided to make uh, Sailor Neptune and Uranus cousins. So that instead of two women flirting, it was now two women cousins flirting. Because, <laughs> whatever. It was so weird. I don't know why. Well, the 90s. North America in the 90s was stupid. Gay panic, yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Um, and, like, they made a male character into a girl so that they would not be in a gay relationship. And season five of Sailor Moon just did not get aired ever here in North America because there's men who transform into women and blah, 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 blah. It's... All right. It was too much for North American studio people. Right. Is ridiculous, but whatever. Children in Japan could handle it. Is Sailor Moon marketed to children in Japan? Do you know? It. That's a tough thing to say now. Because mm-hmm. now, because they did do like a remake of it recently, and that is obviously marketed towards people my age who loved it when they were children. Right. Right? 
Yeah, but I do think with like see, even, part of it's really hard to say because even like the merchandise mm-hmm. now is like makeup and like but not kids makeup like it's good makeup mm-hmm. and it's, mm. and I know that like Japan has a, a trend of like kawaii culture uh, where you know adult women and adult men like the cute things. So it's much more socially acceptable there for like young adults or adults to, you know, yeah, have cutesy things. Like so, like sometimes you see a product, and here if it was in a store, you'd know this is for children. But there, it's like no, no, this could just be like really super cutesy packaging for adults. That's okay, like part of the normal thing there. Yeah, and so with media, it also makes it trickier to be like, well. Was it created for this audience? Was it marketed toward the audience? And then sometimes strange things happen because like I can remember a phase in my youth when the cool thing the teenagers watched Mm -hmm. was a children's show, Lamb Chops Play Along. Right, I know that show, I watched it as an actual child. Yes, and it was aimed for children, but like all the older kids, it was like, what to watch for a while you know what now that i think about it though i do remember singing the song that never ends in middle school oh yeah and this is like early high school years even oh. um it was it was bizarre and i never really understood why it happened or if it was just like the microcosm of my community but so like sometimes older age groups co-opt something that's aimed for younger age groups mm-hmm and then when you get involved in a different culture, it's just hard to tell what it's actually aimed at. Yeah. Um, just, just looking it up, when the Sailor Moon manga was first being written by uh, Naoko mm-hmm. Takeuchi, it was mm-hmm. serialized in a magazine called Nakayoshi, which uh, Wikipedia tells me was aimed at girls 8 to 14. Okay. So so, so yeah. not for like little, little children, mm-hmm. but for that middle years yeah, which age makes, range. Which okay. makes sense because it is about women, superhero, friendships. Mm-hmm. So good. I love Sailor Moon. Um, and then, I don't know, once I got into our... Escaflone was also really, really good and was one of the first anime that I ever watched that was aimed equally at boys and girls. I okay. should just say equally at everyone because it's a it's a giant robot anime, but it's a fantasy instead of a sci-fi, and it's got a lot of political intrigue, but it's also got a lot of relationship intrigue, I guess. Right. Or okay. Relationship drama and and stuff, and uh, the main character is a girl, which is rare in a uh, giant robot anime, mm-hmm. and it's got that anime trope of. A high school girl being pulled into a fantasy world um but then she doesn't she doesn't ever really become like a victim there which and like she she does sort of get swept up into the politics of that world but she's never just being swept along she's always making her own choices and doing her own thing mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of for that reason that she does get swept up in the politics because she's so different and makes these different choices. And also, Escaflone has amazing music. Mm-hmm. And everybody should watch it just for that reason. Right. right. Um, it is one of the titles that I recognize as B 
being one of those essentials, but yeah. I have not seen it. Again, and when I say essentials, take that with a grain of salt. Watch whatever you want to watch if you want to get into anime. If you want, like, if if people want to get into anime but don't like the old 90s style, it's fine. Don't watch anything from the 90s. You don't have to. Are you missing some good stuff? Yes, but there's good recent stuff, too. So, that's fine. Um... So yeah, then the internet changed my life. And it changed all of our lives, really. <laughs> yeah. And opened my eyes to the wide world of anime. So I finished watching Sailor Moon, as I mentioned, and then I got super into like Magic Knights and Cardcaptor Sakura. I, you know, I did finally see some more older things like Akira and Perfect Blue. Um, and then I feel like in the 90s, Neon Genesis Evangelion was sort of a... A rite of passage. Mm. You know, everybody had to watch it and then I, had to discuss it. Yes. I have not seen that one either, but I do also don't know of it. It's, it's fine if you don't. Okay. I haven't seen the... They... I don't know if it's remade. They did some movies recently, like four of them. And I was just like, I don't think I want to be that depressed for that long ever again. I'm good. Okay. That's really why I like anime. I I was going to try to list some of my favorites. Um, no, you mentioned on one of the other podcasts mm. that you're watching the Cardcaptor Sakura. Yeah, so good. Do you have any other current out there favorites? Okay, yes I do. So, okay. um, there is a Persona 5 anime, and Persona 5 was a video game that I played recently. Um, but they've, they're adapting it into an anime currently, and it is really well done and it is so close to the video game and the characters are great and Mm -hmm. it it's the music is fabulous and the art style is gorgeous and it is so good noragami is a lot of fun that one's a couple years old now i think but it's sort of about oh i don't even know how to explain it a girl who basically dies sort of but is still alive as a kind of ghost but not really. I don't know. And then she gets involved with this demigod, and then they go on adventures, helping people. I don't know how else to describe it. It's funny and it's cute. That's all I got. <laughs> okay. Some. This is a problem that I have with some anime. It's like uh, this ridiculous situation, but then they're just sort of meeting people and helping people, and it's funny. Okay. Um, if you really want to do like what I would call the modern sort of rite of passage anime uh attack on titan is yep. good that's the movie no it's it's a it's a tv series. show okay um okay. i do know oh, it was than, titan ae that i yeah. was thinking of uh, i do know more than one person who has gotten to episode five and just refused just just stopped and refused to carry on okay um it's not a happy anime at all it's not happy. Okay. Uh, a lot okay. of people die. A lot of bad shit happens. It's violent. But there's good characters and there's a good mystery going on. But don't get too attached to anyone. They just oh. they just die. Alrighty. In very violent, disturbing ways. Right. It is a lot of fun, though, to watch it with somebody new who has no idea what it's about and get to episode five or something like big happens in episode five and just see their reaction. I've done this to a couple of different people. Okay. And it's a lot of fun. I'm not going to lie. Because they're just like, what? 
Like, wow. <laughs> but it's, it's really great. What else? Modern. I mean, I've been watching My Hero Academia, and it's, it's good, and it is super popular right now. But it does that anime trope thing where they just talk a lot about their plans and what they're going to do and blah, 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 blah. So it gets a little long-winded. And okay. that's, but I, I, I'm sort of sticking it out because I like the story and I like the characters. Uh, there's a couple that I've been meaning to watch. Oh, I will say it's a good like slice of life, but all about women and them being friends and getting stuff done. And it's funny. This is not, I'm never going to remember the name. It has the word Sakura in it. So I tried to Google that, but obviously <laughs> a million things came up. <laughs> Yes. Um, yes. It was really good. It was about like a a girl from Tokyo who gets a job in a small town sort of on its tourist committee and how she makes friends in this small town and how they promote the small town and organize festivals and try to get people to come visit and how it's sort of like a what small towns in Japan used to be and how everybody's leaving them to move to Tokyo or other big cities. And it was really like it's very anime but mm -hmm. but it, it, i don't know it was just really good and i liked it and it is presumably a little bit of a look into country life in japan but again very fictionalized right um it was really good i was trying to think if i had like an overall favorite well it's hard because there's like different sort of styles and genres yeah. within it right so it is always different and like if you wanted to watch one for the art watch Genkutsuo but if you want to watch one for just ridiculous laughs watch Azumanga Daio if you wanted to watch good action I'd probably recommend Attack on Titan for good action and violence mm. or or a giant robot one but there's too many of them to really recommend and there's one. also like the school kid sort of genre that deals with all the angst and the the drama there and it can be realistic or it can be fantastical and well if you want one of those sort of then you want kodomo no mocha okay that one's kind of old but that one deals with so much like humor like ridiculous over-the-top humor but then also under that is also like this really serious storyline about about these kids and it's really good if you want a good high school romance lovely complex is amazing uh it's hard if any of our listeners have a favorite anime that they want to share feel free to tweet at us yes i'm always looking um, for more things to waste my life on <laughs> I have seen a few, like I said, I've seen some of the old school 80s cartoons with uh, Kimba and Astro Boy. And we've actually, um, uh, the animator's name just left my head. Um, the Astro Boy animator? Yeah. Osamu. Osamu Tezuka. Yeah. I think I just um, messed it up. Sorry. But he has a uh, museum you can visit in Japan, and mm. we have been there, and you can see, like, sketches, and it's a lot more interesting if you can speak Japanese, because none of it was tra really translated into English, but, um, because my husband was a big fan of Astro Boy, and 
Kimbo when he was young. So we have, we did go there. We got some like different keychains and different things. That's one of the reasons why we watched Kimbo with my kids and realized, oh, hello. Yeah. Problematic issues of uh, civilizing Africa. Yeah. Hmm. Um, And then when we were trying to get into more of it at one point, it was recommended to watch One Piece because it was just getting going. Mm Mm-hmm. And now it's this like epically huge series that we're never gonna finish. Yeah, but I should mention it's fun. I don't watch series like that that are too big. Like yeah, uh, One Piece well, and when we, Bleach and when we started, yeah. it was not that big. But it's been like yeah, you know, a decade and a half now. So, um, and then other ones like. Uh, Samurai Champloo and Cowboy Bebop, which have amazing stories. Oh, so and how I said the music was amazing in Escaflone? The same person did the music yeah. for Cowboy Bebop, which is also known for oh, its okay. music. I cannot yes. think of her name off the top of my head. But she is amazing in anything that she does the music for. She also like just writes a lot of opening themes for anime. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's good stuff, too. Yeah, uh, That's another thing that I like about anime. They don't or they don't always, I don't know, a lot of it is tropes, but, like, there's always interesting music and, you know, not not in every show, I suppose. But I, I better than I, well, from what I've seen of North American animation, they just put more production value into their shows. Right. Because it's, like, they're not thinking of, it's for kids, we need this just to sell toys. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter if it's got, like, a a good compelling story or an interesting soundtrack. It's just kids. Which is the mindset that some of the stuff here has. Not everything. I mean, I think, you know, My Little Pony is a good example of, like, a North American show that's doing more than just, um, shoveling crap storylines out, but... Yeah, Yoko Kano was the name I was trying to come up with. Yoko Kano, yes. Music composer. So yeah, those are some of my favorite animes and why I like them. And if anybody out there is ever looking to get into it and is finding it very gatekeepy, come talk to me. I'll tell you what to watch. Yeah. I think the internet has really helped as well because to walk into like a video store and try and ask for something that you have maybe only seen written in... A foreign language. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, if you see Escaflone written out, like, you might not know how to say it. This is true. And just, like, being able to ask for something accurately when you don't have just, like, an internet order site or something. Yeah. So hopefully the internet and things are making it easier for people to get into and the different anime. Um, Crunchyroll is, like, an anime streaming service that does a lot of simulcasts. So, like, right. they air in Japan, they're posted on Crunchyroll, like, hours later, or, or that right. week at least. Um, so if you're interested in watching it, most of what's on Crunchyroll is subbed. If you want a streaming dubbed service, uh, I think Funimation has a really good one. Uh, I haven't looked too much into it, so I don't know what their selection is like there. But on Crunchyroll, they have a lot of recent stuff, a lot of older stuff, like, just a good selection if and it's like eight bucks a month 
if you wanted to do that. And again, when it's all there, it does seem overwhelming, but you can always just look up like best girly anime ever or best action anime ever, best comedy. And there's, you know, everybody has different opinions, but you will see titles repeated over and over and over again on those lists. Really, just watch as manga Dio. You'll you'll laugh till you die. It's hilarious, <laughs> and not in like a weird anime way. Because I was like, if you watch Full Metal Panic, yeah, that's funny, but all of that is like super anime jokes. Azumanga Dio is just weird characters doing weird shit, and it's fun. Okay, all right, your second thing. My second thing. Okay, so I am somewhat obsessed with. Uh, life hacks okay (laughs) that's just not where i expected that to go (laughs) um so and like ultra personal life hacks so um this is sort of the art of paring something down to be its most efficient or useful process possible it's a pretty good definition i think um and i love finding new ones and the challenging process of figuring out how to engineer things in my life differently to get them to be more efficient or uh, just do things better. And I read a lot about, like when I'm reading about psychology and things like that, a lot of times it's aimed at how to get yourself trained to change things, to do things in a different way. So, and... It's incredibly personalized, which is why I think some people get frustrated with life hacks because they read about something on a site like Lifehacker and they try it out and it doesn't work and they get frustrated and they feel like a failure. But it's because they're missing the basic concept of like, you have to know a bit about yourself and your situation and you can't apply everything to everybody and expect it to work the same way. So I'm always trying to figure out ways to work with what my own personality is and my family's personality to get things set up even better. And yeah. So to give a few examples, Mm -hmm. um, it can be something as simple as like when I realized that I should set up cleaning supplies in every room because one of the ways one of the challenges I find with cleaning is I hate having like a day set aside where you have to massively clean everything in your house, Mm -hmm. which is the way a lot of us were brought up and I hated it. And so I like the system where you just clean a little bit at a time when you have time. We actually also follow somewhat follow a system that was started by somebody called the fly lady. Okay. In terms of house cleaning. (laughs) And um, one of the big takeaways I took from her process was dividing your house up into different zones. And then you don't worry about your whole house. You worry about what zone you're in. And we flip through them every two weeks. So if I have cleaning time during those two weeks, I don't have to wonder what to do in general. I just think... Oh, it's this zone. Go into that room, clean that room. That's it. And for certain things, like I said, the cleaning supplies are right in that room. So like in every bathroom, we have toilet bowl cleaner and a 
cleaning brush. Mm -hmm. So that if I have only three minutes, I can clean a bathroom and I don't have to like run to a different room in my house to get the supplies to go run back to the bathroom and clean the bathroom. Right. So it's little things like that that just help make everything run more efficiently. Another super personal example is a ritual that I have started called Mascara Day. Um, I change my mascara every three months. I'm really quite fastidious about it because old makeup tends to give my eye styes, mm -hmm. which are really incredibly painful. If you've ever had one, I'm sorry. They suck. And so one of the ways I avoid them is by keeping all my eye makeup stuff very clean and switching out my mascara every three months. And I realized one of the good ways to get done all of those quarterly types of tasks is to pair them along with my mascara day. So my new mascara is kind of a reward after I've checked off all these different quarterly maintenance tasks. So things like, oh, have I checked my smoke detectors? Have I um, emptied the canister of my vacuum cleaner? Have I switched out all of our toothbrushes? Um, so all these little things that are hard to remember, like, oh, like, has it been six weeks or eight weeks since we did this? Have I done this yet? It's just now tied to my mascara day, which I look forward to, and I'm very motivated to remember. So I j it comes up in my calendar along with a checklist of all the little things that I have to do. Mm -hmm. I check them off. And then sometimes I've already bought a mascara and I'll like have it sitting out so I... I'm constantly reminded of the thing I'm the little treat that I'm looking forward to, and I get all those things done regularly. What type of mascara do you use? What kind of mascara? Mm -hmm. Right now, I'm using Lash Perfection by L'Oreal, I think. Okay, I was just wondering if you were buying like a high-end one every three months. No, I'm not. But occasionally, like if I know in the next quarter mm -hmm. that there's like a, occasions coming up, I will sometimes splurge on a higher end one. Okay. So like um, before my brother-in-law got married, um, I splurged on a higher end mascara because I was like, oh, there's going to be all these events. Um, I'm going to treat myself to something that's a little more spendy. Gotcha. So yeah, so I am always looking for like little hacks and tips and ideas for how to make things run smoother in my work life, in my home life, uh, for all sorts of mundane and sometimes weird things. Hmm. This is like so far removed from how I run my own life that I, I don't even know <laughs> what to discuss with you about this. I think it's far removed from how most people run their lives. So this doesn't surprise me. It's a very gamer sort of thing to do. And I think that's why, because I wasn't a gamer when I was little, mostly because of different socialization expectations with boys and girls and peer groups and parenting and things like that. Yeah. So it wasn't until I was an adult that I really started gaming and then my it meshes well with like this perfectionist streak and looking at rule systems and trying to work out the ideal or optimal way to do things. Okay. And sometimes that does mean turning things into a game, 
Mm-hmm. Um, we've done that in the past as well. And yeah. Interesting. And sometimes it does mean, and I, I will sacrifice a lot in the sake of this quest for practicality. Like I tend to value practicality and usability over aesthetics. And so sometimes like if you have to remember something to go outside, it means something will be like stuck on the wall because that's the last place you're going to look as you leave. So I will stick it up there. Um, Or for a while when I was super tired with kid stuff and had a very limited workout time window, it meant that I would go to sleep in my exercise clothes so that I could literally just like get up and like perhaps put on shoes and make a quick change on my top and then I was ready to go. Interesting. So yeah. It's like I said, it has to be very personal and it's part of why I'm fascinated with Gretchen Rubin's happier podcast Mm -hmm. because it's all about really personal habit change. And it's one of the things that they, they never say like, oh, this is going to work for everybody. It's always just, oh, if, if this is your challenges, you kind of have to analyze your situation, analyze who and what's involved, figure out what would actually be an easy solution for this. And it could be that like with 10 different people, each person might have a different solution that feels easy for them. So you can't really generalize. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a life hack person. And I will also just let certain things be like a complete and total mess because I haven't figured out a hack for it yet. Even though it drives me insane the way it is. I'll just be like, nope, nope, the perfect solution has not presented itself yet. I'm not going to waste my time and energy trying something else just to make it prettier or to, you know, if it's not going to be a whole solution, I'm just not going to bother. Like what? (laughs) Um, Like with our laundry. Okay. Would be an example of that. Wherein um, we don't have places that are convenient for all the areas that generate laundry. Which means that right now what ends up happening is usually piles of dirty laundry on the floor somewhere. Okay. And I have to give thought to how I could implement a system that works. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So, yeah, right now it's just a lot of mesh hampers that are usually filled with dirty or clean laundry they're often, because we don't process it quickly enough, the hamper doesn't get returned to catch the dirty laundry. And then I am wanting to use more reusable things instead of single use, like paper towels or like for personal care things. Mm-hmm. I don't like using like single use cotton pads to like clean my makeup off every day. Okay. It's very wasteful. But. I would need a place to keep clean reusable things and dirty reusable things and a system to get them washed in a timely fashion. 
Right. And something that is also going to work with the whole family. So I also have to factor that in. So if anybody out there has recommendations for laundry hacks, <laughs> send them James yeah, send me your send me your laundry hacks. Please do. I mean, I like I just don't get where people keep like laundry things, and especially because I know people often sort and don't wash towels in with their regular laundry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just like, okay, well, where, then where do you put all of the and like people talk about like changing their kitchen towels really frequently and I'm like okay well are you trucking them all the way over to like your bedroom with your clothing hamper like or like where do you keep those in your kitchen when they're dirty and not yet ready to be washed uh and then I also can't just crumple things up wet into a hamper I just can't do it like I have to have it dry before it goes into the hamper so if I'm, I have something wet that needs to be washed I will sometimes just put it in the washing machine directly but then do you just, like, run a single load like that? No, I'll just leave it in there it's until also- I'm doing laundry. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> to be fair, you probably also don't have, like, a like an ongoing, I don't want to say argument. Laundry war? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to say that. <laughs> but, like, a, you don't have to work out a schedule or a claiming with a roommate. That is true. That is true. And... Some families choose to have, like, a laundry day mm-hmm. where, like, okay, it is Sunday. We wash all the laundry. And then it gets processed and folded and put away. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't work for our household. We are just constantly in a state of doing laundry. So, like, today I will try and do... I'm, I'm trying out a system where, like, every Tuesday I change out all the towels mm-hmm. and just do a towel load. And then I also have to do at least two loads of regular clothing laundry today. Just so much clothing. It's only so much because we've been sick. And so we didn't. And then also like yesterday, it was a beautiful day. So we were out a lot of the day and not home doing laundry. Right. That's fair. But quite often. Yeah. Every day, a load of laundry gets started and switched to the dryer at least. Do you want to know how much laundry I do a week? How much? One load. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of hate you. And that's that's my clothes and, like, my towels and stuff. And, well, if I'm doing, like, my entire bed set, I'll probably do, like, one and a half. Right. To be fair, this is partly what we're choosing mm-hmm. in lieu, like, there's all sorts of decisions that go into this. Part of it is that right now, my children can dress and change themselves, and... We are just working on the habit of, if it's coming off your body, you put it in the dirty clothing hamper Mm -hmm. so that they don't start leaving clothes on the floor or shoving them back into drawers. Once they've sort of established that and have more mastery over it, we will start the more complicated process of, you just took that shirt off, you've only been wearing it for this long, is it actually dirty? (laughs) (laughs) Or could you fold it back up and put it away? But that's a more, like, higher-functioning sort of skill set. So our choice is either to, like, wash way too much laundry or do that for them right now, which I think robs them of some of their own autonomy. Right, yeah. And the chance to learn about that. So, like, those are all, like, you know, decisions we've made that have sort of led to this chaotic amount of laundry. The the good news is 
that in a couple years, your children will be entering into prime slave age. <laughs> they already do help out a lot. Um, and sometimes when I say, like, we're doing laundry, it's, you know, they are actually, like, putting the clothing in the washing machine. And they can't do the soap yet because of, you know, it's a Costco-sized thing of laundry right. soap. Um, but, yeah, they're learning how to operate the machine. They will switch a load from the washer to the dryer. That's a much more simple task. Um, what I really would like to get them better at is folding and putting away clothes. Mm -hmm. um, as such, they can't really fold yet, but they can put away, but then they end up putting things away in the wrong drawer because they're being silly. And then I have my six-year-old wearing my four-year-old socks and my four-year-old wearing my six-year-old shirts and they think it's hilarious and yeah <laughs> eventually they won't think wearing each other's clothes is quite as hilarious so i know that'll just solve itself yeah eventually that'll be a huge no-no <laughs> presumably i i, I assume Presum it is with boys this way it is with girls i've only ever had sisters so yeah, my youngest cares much more about what he wears, so I'm assuming that it is going to be a way bigger deal if his brother accidentally wears right. his clothing. Yes. He is going to... But we'll see how this plays out as they age. And you've talked so much about laundry, Jen. I know, I know. Your thing now. Okay. Your thing. I'm calling it here. Okay. Life hacks. Jen likes them. Mm -hmm. um, my act second thing is I decided to go with theater. Oh, nice. Because I like theater. And uh, I don't know if I've mentioned on the show before, but that's, that's what I went to school went to, to school for, or went to college for. Um, mm -hmm. I did backstage theater stuff. And in our program, like you could sort of choose what you wanted to focus on. But we did a lot of, a big overview of things. So we made props and built sets and designed lighting and did sound and um, did like stagehand and stage managing, which is what I wanted to go into. And I love it a lot. I recommend everybody out there get involved with theater somehow because mm -hmm. it is a lot of fun and very stressful and has more than anything else taught me how to work as a team and to get along with people even if i hate them oh yeah i could see where that's a thing because when you have a paying audience in it doesn't matter how you feel about each other you have to deliver the show that they have paid to see right and uh yeah uh, and even now, I, I obviously I didn't go into it because actually stage managing is really just as hard to get into as acting. Um, mm -hmm. And it, at least locally, it has that fun thing of, you know, to get a union job, you have to be in the union. But to be in the union, you have to get a union job. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's fun and pretty much requires years of volunteering before you're going to get anywhere for stage managing in particular. So, but now when I, when I go to plays now, cause I do see as much theater as I can, I mm -hmm. really like having this knowledge of how, how it all works and how it all comes together. Uh, right. I do know people who don't want that. Uh, like I know I saw the Broadway production of Cinderella last year, I think. And afterwards, 
the people that I saw it with were talking about how they do a lot of on stage instantaneous costume changes because it's Cinderella. Right. And I was like, I can explain how they did those if you want to know. And all of them are like, no, 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 don't. I'm like, all right, it's fine. <laughs> like, I just think it makes it cooler. Like, you could yeah. you could tell that the Velcro on her dress was old and used a lot because she was holding it together. But I don't know that anybody else picked up on that. <laughs> right, right. Um, if we ever see something in theater, you can tell me afterwards how they did everything. Okay. Uh, I mean, know. I don't know everything, obviously, because different shows have different tricks and that sort of thing. But... It's right. just, it was so much fun, and we got up to so much crap, and just had such a good time. I highly recommend, highly recommend it. And also, when you work in theater, you're really exposed to plays and things that you would never choose to go see. And, right. and different ways of doing things. Like, I was an assistant stage manager on this, like, 1930s feminist play, which was so much fun because the entire cast there was like nine of them eight i forget where it was all women the uh because this was in school while we did our best to emulate professional situations um we didn't Mm -hmm. have to pay people so we would overfill positions like and create things that if money were a concern would never happen in real life Okay. Uh, so, like, we had a stage manager and two assistant stage managers. Right. Which I can't imagine that happening. Um, right. Maybe on Broadway. But anyway, so uh, the the stage manager and the two assistant stage managers were also women. The director was was male, but we didn't care. We just had it was so much fun. We had rehearsals. It was just a whole bunch of women all the time, you know. And we had a really good time. And it's not a play I would ever choose to go see. But it was a really interesting play. And it had three acts. And the middle act, um, the audience walked to different sets around oh. around the theater. So we had, like, one on uh, backstage right. We had one back in, like, our lunchroom. We had one in the rehearsal room downstairs. And then we had one out in the courtroom. And... They had little scenes that would be performed four times for the different for the four sets of audiences, and the, okay. the main character had to be in three of four out of four of these scenes. So she just oh had to God. run around the theater and mapping that out and in rehearsals and getting that to work and then seeing it come together was just it, it's right. just really fun. It's really good. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. Do you do you have any? I, I don't really know what else to talk about about theater. Like, um, well, I have some questions for like our local theater scene. Okay. Um, like, do you have a favorite theater? Like, you went to school, you studied theater. Did you guys get to work with any of the local theater venues or anything so like that, or learn about at them? the school that I went to? A lot of the people who teach there also work at Bart on the Beach. Okay. Which, for those listening, is our local summer Shakespeare festival. And um, so, like, it wasn't part of our school that we got to work there. But if they liked you and you wanted a job there, it wasn't terribly difficult for us to get work there. Okay. Um, Depending on what you wanted to do. Sometimes it wasn't always the best job, you know. I've definitely heard about classmates just spending an entire summer painting the wooden 
uh, walkways that they built. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can imagine. Um, I know... Well, I know a lot of... And, like, actor-wise, I don't know as much because I didn't do it, but they got involved in Theater Under the Stars a lot. Right. They were part of the, the musical theater program. Mm-hmm. And, again, for those that don't know, there's a big... Um, every year in Stanley Park, as I think where it is, yes. they put on a couple of shows, and then you watch, like, an outdoor theater event. Yeah, it's really good. I've, yeah. I'll, I've only been once, uh, so... I, I always like Theater Under the Stars because it's, like, a mix of of professional like we have money and we have uh ticket or season ticket holders and that sort of thing but also like Mm -hmm. um just young people come together to do like indie theater right so you get you get good production value but you also get a lot of younger people and a lot of different takes on things and a lot of well who cares who or what we cast is who let's just have fun with this you know so that's mm-hmm. what I like about Theater Under the Stars. It's pretty good. I don't know what people would be interested in. Um, how could you get involved with like a local theater? I have absolutely no idea. No, I know. Okay. Um, shoot. I mean, like other than knowing I mean, people, I lo- like I know some people who are doing a play right now at what was my old high school, and so because I know them, I know I could volunteer there or. I know my my school has like a, a Facebook group where people just mm-hmm. post things that either jobs or volunteers that they need. Um, right. You know, so I know things like that. But if you're not already involved, I don't know. Gotcha. I had been actually toying with the idea of trying to get involved with a local theater because mm-hmm. it's literally like maybe a 10 minute drive from my house um, is the Surrey little theater, which is probably getting torn down in a few years and has to find a new location. Um, But I like singing and I did a little bit of drama in high school, but I just thought that this would give me something. So you you want, I need outer, you want to be on stage? Possibly. Yeah. Okay. That I know even less about, but I would suspect just go to their website. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And that they, because I would assume, like, small local um, theater groups are always looking for volunteers or people to get involved. Um, It might, it just might not be the way you want to. Like, if you're determined to be on stage, that's not always what they need. Or a lot of the times, that's where they like to spend their money to get, right? you know, some good actors. I I don't know how big it is um, where you are, but I know in, in New West... Uh, with the Royal City musical thing, uh, I forget mm-hmm. what that is called. A lot of the times, it would be majority local volunteers, but then for like their one main actor, they would hire someone good for that. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I know they yeah. did that for the Music Man, um, and some other place. But also, they spend a lot of money on sets too, so mm. it would it would just sort of depend on what type of thing you're volunteering for and what you're interested in doing gotcha and keep him do you think no go ahead i'm just gonna say and keep in mind you're probably not gonna like everyone and you're probably gonna have to work really closely with with them yeah 
well, no, I realized that um, this might be something for like a few years down the mm-hmm. road, potentially. I mean, you can, there's probably a good community theater that you and your kids can get involved in. That's true. That is true. And cast parties are always great. <laughs> I can imagine. The theater does have a reputation yeah. for their parties. One of the things that I oh, I don't know how to describe it, but one of the things that was always great at cast parties was when the, uh, the, the, the techies, us, would just, that would be like our time to just let loose. And some of the actors would just be like, whoa, you guys have been <laughs> quiet and dressed in black for months now. Right. Because um, they get to get some of their, like, yeah. uh, everything out on stage, yeah. right? They can be somebody else. And you guys have to be super focused on making sure everything goes smoothly. Not to not to downplay what actors do. They work really hard. I don't want to... Yeah. I don't want to add to that stereotype of how we're all against each other. Um, Because it really is all about the different people coming together to do this one thing and how you you do all need each other. Right. Which, I mean, uh, my biggest story about that is, so I guess in theater, there's three main groups. There's actors, there's techies, for lack of a better term, and there's costumers. And... Oh, that that is a completely different skill set. I know nothing about costumes. Okay. Um, and the three groups. It. Okay. No, I will say in smaller indie theater because everybody just does everything. This is probably not the case, but in mm-hmm. high big productions with money or in in the case of school like trying to replicate that, the three groups don't have that much to do with each other. Right. But you do all work together and sort of need each other. And my biggest sort of example of that is in one of the first plays that I did, uh, there was an actor who had to go on stage in one costume and then come off for a quick change and go back on stage in a completely different thing. And he, in his first costume, he had a corset on. And he just could not get that quick change. Oh no. So he was entering from stage left, which is where I was. And so before he went on for his first one, he would come see me and I would just loosen the shit out of his corset. Like it was, it was staying on just with his arms holding it there. He would go out, deliver his line, go off stage right, and they would get the, the, the quick change done. And then he'd go back on. Right. But if he hadn't come to see me first, that was never going to happen. Right. So that was all of us working together for one thing. And the best thing is, when you're working backstage, you have to keep a very detailed list of every single thing that you do, just in case you're sick and somebody has to take over. Oh, yeah. So one of the things was, you know, act two, this time, uh, Damien, come see you, loosen corset. Right. Right. Yeah, because corsets are not actually naturally built for quick changes. No, they're not. At all. Uh, so that that's fun and is a good good thing of teamwork. And then mm-hmm. I don't know what other some fun things we did. There's always the last night of the show where you pull pranks on the actors, right? Um, and in our in our feminist show, the the ladies got uh, had a water fight on stage, and we put so much water. <laughs> we put way a lot of extra water 
in the the pots that they were sort of throwing at each other on the last night. Okay. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> so it was part of the play to have the water fight. It wasn't the prank to have the water oh, fight. No, yeah, you no, just no, the, added way yeah, more water than you were supposed water. to have. One of, one of our jobs in that play was um, the main character had to be off stage during the water fight, delivering lines, and then had to go back on stage wet. So she would be yelling lines, and we would be throwing water on her as she was yelling these lines. Gotcha. And it was so hard to to keep a straight face. And even though, like, we would fill the pots up with warm water, they would be cold by the time it came around to this. And this right. was the play with the moving audience. So the play, uh, right. so the audience was on stage. So we couldn't fill up the water like closer to. Like, mm-hmm. We we could barely even whisper to each other because like a curtain was separating us from the from the audience. Gotcha. So that was that was actually a lot of fun. It was so hard to not laugh, and it was hard for her to deliver her lines without a laughing and b like gasping because all this cold water is being thrown onto her. <laughs> uh yeah, that would be hard. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's, it's also really good if you get into stage management, like it's the most stressful job I've ever done in my life, but mm-hmm. it's that good type of stress that I love because okay. like, there's a live audience there and somebody is just screwed up royally and I have to decide what we're going to do about it. Oh. And I like that. Um, it gives you a lot of agency yeah. the, as opposed to like, you know wildly bad things happening that you can't do anything about yeah i guess and like one of the biggest example of that is um i called oh this is very technical terminology here i suppose but i called a fly cue and they started bringing in the wrong the wrong thing and the fly is anything that comes in like up or down from above the fly system so they were supposed to just bring in a banner that had, like, it was for Footloose. So it was just, like, in the high school hallway. And the banner just had, mm-hmm. like, the name of the high school and maybe the year or something on it. Mm-hmm. But instead, uh, much more downstage from that, they started bringing in a window frame for one of the house sets. And oh, when okay. and they, they're not looking at the stage when they are pulling the ropes. So the ropes are just marked um about how long how far they have to pull it in right so they don't know that they've got the wrong one. Oh, and if they and the the frame is obviously much heavier than a banner and comes down much lower in a completely different part of stage and the actors would not have been prepared for that right so i had to very quickly be like nope cancel stop what you're doing pull that back up and it takes a minute because it's going <sighs> yeah and then yeah. they pull it back up and then they were like, should we bring in the banner now? And I was like, and I had to make a split decision, but I was like, no, that'll just disturb the scene now. Just leave it. And then right. I was like, and we're going to talk about this afterwards. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. That, that could have been a very serious injury uh, for the actors yeah. who were expecting it to come in. Mm-hmm. And then one time we had the like downstage center spotlight just out of whack no idea where it went it wasn't where it was supposed to be so a good portion of the stage was just in darkness so that was fun i had to like work with the light operator to figure out which light it was we had to communicate to the actors to be like you know find your light you're going to be in darkness 
uh, do what you got to do. And then it, that was complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I love stage managing. It's stressful, but rewarding. Gotcha. See, it's not the area that I would be involved in. Like if, when I think about like the theater process, I would be performing Mm -hmm. or costuming or like doing other sort of like maybe tech work, but I don't think I would ever want to be a stage manager. I loved it. There was, there was a whole bunch of challenges. Like we were so busy and I got so sick during Footloose. There was one time where I was, where the stage manager sits up in the booth, at least in our theater, the lighting operator sat in the same booth, which was great because I had this violent coughing fit that I could not stop. So I I could not talk into my headset. So instead of calling the cues, I just sort of pointed at her when she had to go. Right. And this was a big musical, so there was an insane number of lighting cues. There was like 200 lighting cues in a, oh, wow. a two-hour play. So that's that's more than one a minute. Right. Gotcha. I don't, I don't know if some of those technical terms make any sort of sense, but like if a light changes, I have to call when that happens. You have to... Yeah, yeah. No, my little bit of drama in high school did include some lighting. Okay. Um, but like... At the level I got to, we had to be somewhat aware of it, but not making the decisions on lighting changes or anything like that. Yeah, um, you just had to kind of like know the technology, like know the terminology, and know like this was part of why your marking was important because this is gonna, you know, at this point you have to be here so that when the light change happens, you are in the light and not standing in the wrong right. spot. Yeah, so the way that lighting is generally done is the director works with the lighting designer and yep. they decide how they want each scene lit. If there's a big like musical number and the lights are changing mm-hmm. a lot, they go through that slowly and then speed it up and see how they like it and that sort of thing and decide what they want. And then that right. is all programmed into... Well, let's just say a computer. There's like a, a computer, yeah, and it changes the actual so lights. So then and... all the LX operator really has to do is hit a button, and it goes to the right. next one. But the stage manager has to, you know, call when they do that, mm-hmm. which, again, can, <laughs> can be easy, or in a case like a big musical number where it's just go, 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 can be a little bit complicated. Um, right. Especially if you're calling other cues in the middle of that, because it can be like, lights go, lights go, fly go, sound go, lights go. Right. Um, But mostly they do just have to hit that button, but they do need to know, like, like I said, if a light is out or something like that, they need to know where all the lights are and what they all do so that if something does go wrong, they can figure out where the problem is and fix it. Right. So, yeah, that's theater. Gotcha. I love it a lot. It's stressful, but amazing. Fascinating. Do you have a favorite show that you stage managed? Probably Footloose, just because it was such a big challenge, and it was so such a big part of my life for so long. Right. And I'm, like, still shocked that we pulled it all together and that it it, it came together so well. 
and, and I'm still to this day surprised that I didn't like die because I was so sick. Um, do you have a show that you would love to stage manage? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> you know, not in particular. I think, like I said earlier, one of my favorite things is getting to see and do shows that I would normally not see or see or do. Right. And right. one of the things that I actually don't ever want to do as a stage manager is stage a show, is work on a show that I love, because that just means you have to see and or you have to, have to see and listen to it over and over and over and over again, and it can kind of ruin it. Mm. Like, I, I don't right. ever want to hear the songs from Footloose ever again in my life. Or if you have, like, a particularly troublesome or stressful team that you're working with that could, like, taint the show because you'd have bad associations with it. Yeah, maybe. I, I've never had that particular experience. I mean, I okay. had one person who I really, really didn't get along with. Um, uh, she was like the other assistant stage manager on the on the feminist play. that uh, The feminist play is called Fefru and Her Friends. Um, and we, we really didn't get along. But mm-hmm. it, it doesn't ruin that for me. We just interacted as little as possible. Okay. And, you know, whereas, profe- well, I don't know if this is just me saying it from my point of view, but I will say that I was as professional as possible. I don't particularly think she was, but that was part of the reason I didn't like her. Okay. Which is yeah. fair. But yeah. Yeah, I don't think I'd ever want to stage manage a show that I like. Like, if I had okay. to stage manage Rent, God, no. Oh, no, really? I, I, no. I can listen to those songs over and over and over and over. You, I can't even describe to people if you've never had to do rehearsals and tech rehearsals. Tech rehearsals are the worst. They're the bane of my entire existence. Anybody in theater will understand. <laughs> and it's just, nope. Mm-mm. Okay. We had a very strict uh, no show tunes rule at school because you never knew if somebody had worked on that show and didn't ever want to hear that music ever again. Although I will say, being uh, working so closely with the musical theater students led to very Mm -hmm. interesting situations where like I was setting up my, uh, my binder and my desk one time and the, uh, musical director dude just sat down at the piano and started playing and then everybody else in the room started singing and i don't mean they started singing the melody i mean they started singing a perfectly like some people had uh the harmony and some people were being like instruments and blah blah and i was just like what the fuck is going on like and obviously <laughs> in class somewhere they had learned this and practiced it but because i wasn't a part of that and this he just decided this was their warm-up and didn't communicate it. They all just jumped in when they needed to. I was just like, oh my God, what is going on? I could see that happening just because my husband was in a fine arts high mm-hmm. school in the music program. And like, I could see him and his high school friends just like picking up and jamming that way. Yeah. Even if it wasn't planned, even if it was just like one guy starting it and then everybody knows the song, so they're jumping it. Yeah, I could I could see that. It was very strange. It was the closest I've ever been to like being in a musical, you know? Like or life being a musical. It was very strange. (laughs) 
Right, right. Okay. Um, okay. I think that's all the questions I have. Theater is fun. You should all do it. So, yeah. Kate's a theater nerd. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope everyone has enjoyed nerding out with us. Um, I am happy to talk more about any of the nerdy things that I share on the podcast. So if you have more questions that didn't get addressed in the show or comments or laundry life hacks, you can send them to us on Twitter where we are at command of her own. We also have an email address, a command of her own at gmail.com. And it's, you can't really send us things on Instagram, but uh, we do have an Instagram account, instagram.com slash a command of her own. And if you want to send Kate anything about theater or anime, you can do that at those places as well. Yes, you can. Maybe I'll post a picture of the cat that has been plaguing this entire recording. <laughs> yeah, Kate, why is there a cat there? Because I'm house-sitting for, for a friend of mine, and she has two cats, and one of them is basically, like, imagine a German Shepherd, but as a cat. And just wants and needs constant attention. Okay. Um, next week, we are going to be doing the Deep Space Nine pilot episodes, right, Kate? Right. I'm sorry, did you say episodes with an S? It's like a two-parter, like okay. Encounter at Farpoint. Yeah, that's fine. You yeah. just didn't make that clear to me before, so I need to... Oh, yeah, yeah. Just so I know what to watch. Yes. Emissary and Emissary Part 2. Okay. And I am extremely excited... I am moderately not excited. (laughs) There'll be some good stuff to talk about, I think. Okay. I guess I'm excited to disappoint you again. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm living on the hope that you will not disappoint me. (laughs) Because it's great. So why would I just be disappointed that you enjoyed it and, and think it's great, too? Right, of course. Yes. So I guess that's all for this week. And is this where we should say bye? Yes. Thank you for setting <laughs> us up for prime awkwardness there. <laughs> I do what I can. All right. I've been Caitlin. And I've been Jen. We'll see you next time. Bye. Yes. Bye. <laughs>
Sorry. I'm awesome there. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. What the fuck are you doing up there? Okay. Um, sorry. Um, 